As we come to your word, we just thank you for your presence. We just thank you where two or more are gathered, you are there in the midst. We just recognize you here. Father, I just pray that as we start to just go through this passage in John, I just pray that you would just reveal your Father's heart to us. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we'd encounter you again, like the woman at the well, that we'd encounter you, the fountain of life. And I pray, Spirit of God, that you would come and that you would just cause and provoke those streams of living water to flow forth from within us, even as we drink from your word. So I just pray, come and have your way. In your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So if you've got your Bibles, you can open up to John 4. We're going to be reading through that chapter. I'll have a few of the scriptures we'll put on the screen. But we're talking about Vision Sunday. We belong to a group of churches called Church of the Nations. We're in a cluster called Freedom Hill with Louis Else. And uh, we're just going to be taking some time just to share around what we believe God's been saying to us as a group of leaders, as a group of churches, but also for us individually. There's so much of it that spoke and ties into who we are as Harvest that we've just grabbed onto where we are as the wider community, but we know it's significant for us. And um, the, the phrase is, if we can go to the next slide, what we really sense God was saying for us as we're going to look at John chapter 4 is right here, right now. Now, you must, might have watched about a week ago or was it two weeks ago, the president, presidential inauguration, and you would have seen Donald Trump made this statement right here, right now. He made it numerous times in his speech. Um, Louis was joking about that as we were chatting, and he was just saying, you know, President Trump had called him about the speech and said, you know, give me some advice of what I should say. And Louis had said, listen, I don't know about you, but what I know is God is doing something right here and right now. I don't know if that's true at all, so please don't bank on that, but um, that is what he told me. Here's a quote about vision. Dissatisfaction and discouragement are not caused by a lack of things, but rather a lack of vision. Maybe you've found that there's dissatisfaction and discouragement and have been trying to buoy yourself up or appease that by things and putting things into your life or chasing after things, but you find that never fulfills and that never satisfies because there's something of a lack of vision. I want to say quite clearly, and it's an old and it's a simple song, and most of us here would know it, but there was a wonderful truth in it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I want to say as we talk about vision, the first thing that we need to get into our sight is a vision of who he is. But it's only, because, it's only when we can see him for who he is that we can find meaning, a point of reference, and purpose to live out from. Julian had been sharing with us around that just a few weeks ago, just saying getting a vision and getting into our sight who God is. He is the Father who loves to pour his affection upon us as sons and daughters. And then I went a little bit further and I spoke about what I deem is the second most important thing we need to get into our sight. We need to get into our sight who we are and catching a glimpse of how he sees us. We looked last week that he sees us in Christ. And in Christ he sees us as holy and blameless. It says that he finds pleasure in us. That part of having us as a part of his family was out of his good will that he ordained it. It says that he delights in us. And I don't want us to ever underestimate that. I never want us to get to a place where we question our significance. We question what God thinks about us. We start to question of what value and worth do we have because then we are falling short and we are not able to move forward in the purposes God has for us. 
There's something about looking and knowing what He thinks about you and what He thinks about me, what He thinks about us as a body, that when He went to the cross, that He would take everything that would stand in the way of having a relationship with Him. He took it all and He took it upon Himself and He took it to a cross and He nailed it and saw it nailed there personally so that you and I could enjoy the freedom of relationship that we can have because of what He's purchased for you and for us. There's a beautiful truth in that as we look at it. And so I want to say this. Don't let anyone tell you that you have no value or no worth. I've had some people come to me in this last week, and, and in, um, listen, it happens regularly, where they come and they're just chatting and want counsel and some wisdom of God. And I had someone sit with me this last week, and this person said to me, I want you to know that I have value and I have worth in God's sight. She was saying it to me as if I didn't believe it. <laughs> And then she readjusted herself, and she said it to me again with force and conviction. And I want to say I loved it. I love it when you start to recognize who you are in God's sight, who He is to you, but who you are to Him. Because there's something of a conviction that takes hold of you that you can live from that place with security and stability, and you can run with the vision that God gives you because you've caught sight of how He sees you. And you know that you are in His vision and His focus. And so I want you to turn to the person next to you. And this might be the first time they've heard it in a long time. And I want you to say to them, you're worth it. Will you do that? It's as we discover our value in Him. As we discover our value in Him, we can start to engage with His vision for us. As we discover our value in Him, we can engage with His vision for us. And that's why I just want to pick up on this before we go further. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble over themselves. But when they attend to what He reveals, they are most blessed. If people cannot see what God is doing, they will stumble over themselves. But when they attend to, and this word attend, it means when they are present to what he's revealing, when they are caring about what he is revealing, when they are dealing with and appropriating what he's revealing, then they are most blessed. And vision is so important because if you don't have it, there won't be that conviction and confidence, as I've said, to move forward in what God has for you. And you'll find yourself stumbling over yourself. As we're going into this year, I don't want you to stumble over yourself. There are many other stumbling blocks. Don't stumble over yourself at the starting point. The Bible here doesn't say that we stumble over things that are cluttered around us. It's not saying that we're going to stumble over potholes that we um, unsuspectingly come upon. It's not saying we're going to stumble over hurdles that people place in our way. What it's saying here, before I do that, let me just give a little bit thought of how, a little thought about how I think about these things. When I stumble over something, and my wife will attest to this, when I stumble over something, it's that thing's fault. Do you know that? I used to have a little Boston Terrier, and he would just follow my feet around in our trip, and it was this dog's fault. He's a beautiful little man. My mom's got a, a little Pekingese. It was a miniature Pekingese, and then it grew, and it wasn't a miniature Pekingese. But anyway, it's a, it's a full-size Pekingese now. And she, if you look at her, has got a broken foot and she's wearing a moon boot. And let me tell you, I just heard it. It was the dog's fault. She loves her dog. But it was that dog's fault that I stumbled. And it was that rockery's fault that I stumbled and I broke my foot. We don't often like to admit that we stumble over ourselves. Because when we don't have God's vision, the only thing we're stumbling over is me. 
And we've got a little video clip that just uh, shows this quite well that I enjoy. Thanks, Jason. It's a little bit of animal cruelty, I apologize. <laughs> we stumble because we lose our vision and we land up not attending to what God's showing us and we lose our balance and we lose our sense of reference. That, that poor little pug lost his sense of reference and uh, collided audibly with that log. And I believe what God is saying to us as, we, as we're going forward, as he's wanting to envision us for what he sees before us. He wants us to see things from a different perspective. Julian came and he encouraged us and he reminded us of the affection of the Father towards us and also that we are seated in Christ and that we see things from a different perspective. We're not looking from an earthly perspective. The Word tells us to lift our vision higher. We're seeing from a heavenly, supernatural perspective to see that which God is wanting to show us. So I believe in this year he's wanting us to get a higher perspective to receive vision for what he wants to show us. And he wants us to look through the lens of the finished work of the cross. He wants us to look through the lens of the finished work of the cross. And that's his grace. Because when we are doing that, when we are seeing things from his perspective, through his grace, because he has dealt with it and is finished at the cross, then we are, I'm pointing at the cross and it's not there. It's in the building somewhere. It's on the wall outside. But as he's done that, that's what leads us into the place of breakthrough. Who, who was here last week as we uh, um, spent some time worshiping the Lord? And both the morning and the second service, the word came through about breakthrough. I want us to be alert to that. I want us to hear that. I want us to have eyes to see what the Lord is showing. He brought that word breakthrough twice. It's something that he is speaking to us as a church, and it's something that he's speaking to us as individuals in the immediacy of what we're facing right here and right now. He is wanting to bring breakthrough. And the word that came... Both from um, both, in both the first and the second service, said this, Jesus is the breakthrough. God is the one who breaks through on your behalf and mine. When God steps in, that is breakthrough. When we allow him in, when we invite him in, when we activate our faith in him, when we lean into him and press into him and take a hold of him, when we partner with his person, with his presence, and with his power, that is breakthrough right here and right now. That is the word that's come to us twice in this last week, and it's a word that the Lord is speaking to us, and it's for areas maybe in your life where maybe you're feeling that you've been a little bit overwhelmed and you're needing Him to break through. Maybe it's in your marriage where there's just a bit of tension and strife at this time. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe in your health. Maybe it's in your relationships. Maybe it's in your finances. But the areas where you are feeling as we are going into this year that you are feeling hopeless, and Rich encouraged us, and he took a little bit of my message and what I wanted to share. But if there's a place in your life where you are feeling hopeless, I want to say it's the lie of the enemy, because wherever God is, there is hope. There is nowhere where God is where there isn't hope and breakthrough. Why? Because he is the breaker forth. He is the one that breaks through. Jesus is the one who has broken through on your behalf and mine, and he is the God of all hope. There's no missing hope. There's no robbed hope. There's no distracted hope. He is the God of all hope. Romans 15 verse 13. I pray that God, the source of all hope, will fill you completely with all joy and peace. 
because you trust in Him or believe in Him. Then you will overflow, you will abound with confident hope through the power, the dynamic working of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that beautiful? There's something of hope that He's wanting to speak to us. There's something of hope that we are needing as we come out of a 2016 that has tried to hold on to us and drag us through the mud a little bit. There's so many people I've heard as I've been chatting in various settings who have said, thank goodness we've got 2016 behind us. I was mentioning the inauguration a little bit earlier, and if you're a Democrat, maybe you're thinking 2016 didn't look so bad as you look forward to 2017 if you follow American politics. If you are a Republican, you're thinking 2017 is going to be great again. But no matter what that says, there's something that God is saying to us right here and right now that we need to pick up for this year ahead. And I want us to jump into John 4. If you've got your Bibles, if you can turn there. Jesus is on a journey, and there's something about this story that's arresting to us. God's about to demonstrate His presentness. He is the ever-present God. He's not distant. He's not far away. He is the ever-present God who is forever presencing Himself in the immediacy of our moment, right here, right now. He is the God that says, I am that I am. I was who I was. I'll be who I'll be, but I am who I am. It's a right here, right now word, as God describes himself. And this is a picture that I want us to get because we're in a place where maybe we felt that we've been disconnected. And what does it look like to be journeying with Jesus and this year going forward? And this is a beautiful picture that we see unfolding. Verse 4, talking of Jesus. Now he had gone through to Samaria. Sorry. Now he had to go through Samaria. There's something of the Spirit leading him where he had to go through Samaria. He couldn't take a route around it like they would normally do. And so he came to a town called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired. He was tired from the journey, and he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. It's a long journey. It's a bit of treacherous terrain, desert-like, the heat, the, the, the distance. He's tired, and he's sitting by a well, and it's noontime. There's something about this journey we need to catch as we're looking at Jesus. There's a theologian by the name of Greg Boyd. And as we look at this journey and our journey, this is what Greg Boyd says the journey of discipleship is. Discipleship is the process of becoming what Jesus would be if he were you. I need to say that again. You need to pay attention to that. Discipleship is the process of becoming what Jesus would be if he were you. I mean, that sounds a little bit complex because, you know, we're all unique. But it's in our uniqueness. It's in your unique temperament. It's in your unique personality. It's in your unique talents. And it's in your own unique way you are called to reflect Jesus. That's the beauty of discipleship. And there's something about what's happening as we read this passage that we are able to see something in Jesus that should be reflected in us. There's something about when we see Jesus and how he is feeling in the moment, and we might know we also feel like that. He's tired, and we're tired, and he's weary, and we're weary, and he's sitting by a well because he just wants a respite, and we feel the same. But there's something about what happens in the moment that we need to say, Lord, I want what's happening in your life to be true of me, right here, right now. And so we see that he's on this journey, and he's wanting us to catch his ways. You know, Jesus has a certain way. There's a certain way about Jesus. There's the certain way he 
touches you and speaks to you, reveals himself to you and communicates with you. And Jesus is wanting us to learn his ways. He's wanting us to do life in a certain way. He's wanting us to do church in a certain way. He's wanting us to do marriage in a certain way. He's wanting us to handle our finances in a certain way. He's wanting us to engage with society in a certain way. There's something that he's wanting us to see and catch. We see it unfolding from verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. There's something that Jesus is saying to her that she has come to a well to draw water and she doesn't realize that she is standing before the fountain of life. And he is saying this not to push her away, but to invite her close and saying, if you knew it was who it was that was standing before you, you would desire this living water. There's something about the clarity of his gaze. There's something about the conviction of his words. There's something about his presence and how he is communicating her and how as he's speaking to her, she is feeling worth and value. And there's something that's arresting her in the midst of the moment that this is a person that should have been tired and weary and shouldn't have been communicating with her, but she has his attention and he has said something to her that provokes something deep within her. And she responds and says, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep, but in his very communication, in his very interaction, in his very engagement, in his very awareness, in his very presentness, in the very immediacy of what is taking place, he is reaching, touching deep within her, and something is being provoked in the depths. Because he doesn't need a bucket for the finger of God to touch you. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? who gave us the well and drank, from him, uh, and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and livestock. And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, pointing at the well. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw. You see, Jesus has a need, but he recognizes the need of the one that's in front of him. She's thirsty. And as we are engaging in the journey of life, I want us, I want us to see this, and I want to be in, you to be encouraged in this. I want you to be alert to this, and I want you to be aware of his ways. I want him to be reflected in your life, because you are going to be in situations where there are people who are thirsty. Maybe it's your wife or your husband, and there's a thirst or a hunger of something of God in their life. And they are desiring more. And there's an emptiness. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your relationships. That you know that there's someone you're engaging with, as John shared already, that they're hungering for something more. And you also feel, I'm, I'm, there's more to me than this. I've got value and worth, as we shared earlier. Maybe you, you're realizing there must be more to me just having a job. There must be more to me just earning a salary. There must be more to me just being able to pay for a bond or a car or to buy my groceries. There must be more. There's more to life than this. And God is wanting us to see 
that he sees beyond the natural need. Jesus is seeing beyond the natural need. He's seeing the emotional dilemma that this person is, and he's provoking a spiritual thirst within her. And that goes for all of us here as well. Because I want to say we are placed in places where maybe we feel tired and weary. Maybe we feel we would rather sit by the well and enjoy the view. But God has placed you to be a person of impact. And he wants you to get a vision for what he has a vision for. And she's in this place where she doesn't only have a natural need but an emotional need. Not only does she need water, but she needs approval and love and acceptance. Psychologists and counselors will tell you this. There's no misery like a lonely heart. There is no misery like a lonely heart. And I know that there are people who will be sitting here today. I had someone in the first service that you might be sitting with everyone around you. You might be sitting in the midst of a group. You might be going and having lunch with friends afterwards. Yet in the midst of that place, you are terribly lonely. But Because loneliness has nothing to do with the presence or absence of people around you. Loneliness has to do with how you're feeling in the deepest, truest part of who you are. And I want to say this. The only cure for loneliness is to be alone with Jesus. Loneliness and aloneness are very different. Being alone with Jesus cures loneliness. And so right here at this moment at the well, Jesus has cleared the crowd. He's responding to what the Father is doing. And there's a moment that in her loneliness, he is able to interact with her, to speak right to the depth of where she's at, to cut past the need, to cut past the emotional tumult of what's going on, and to provoke a spiritual thirst deep within her. And in the same way, there are areas that we need to be provoked like that even as we provoke others. There are areas where maybe we are running after things, chasing after things. Maybe we find ourselves for competing for something in the workplace, in the relationship, wherever it might be. Maybe we find ourselves trying to chase after, as I've said, keeping busy day in and day out. And we find because of that, we are misplacing our priorities because we are in the place where we cannot put God in His kingdom first. Maybe you're experiencing that. I know that I've felt that at times, where we actually think, no longer am I chasing after this thing, but it seems this thing is chasing after me. Have you ever felt like that? That something's chasing after you, you just cannot get free. We feel like sometimes we're finding our identity in things. And Jesus is saying, you will not find your identity in things. You can only find it in the King. I can instill identity into your heart. I love that because in Psalm 23, it says, goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I want to say when you encounter Jesus, when you have that moment when you encounter him, no longer are you to live in that place of being aware of what you perceive you are chasing or what's chasing you, but you can start to become aware that you are being pursued, you are being tracked down, you are being caught up upon, and what is catching you is his goodness and his unfailing love. You are being pursued. It's a right here, right now thing. I want to guarantee you, even as you are seated here today, there's no shadow of a doubt in my mind, whether you believe him in him or not, that his goodness and his loving faithfulness is pursuing you, creeping up on you. I can almost see him pouncing upon you as you sit here right now. Right here, right now. Verse 16. And he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, 
and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. You see, there's something here where she knows that he shouldn't be speaking to her. He shouldn't be communicating with a Samaritan. Yet in this moment, she's experiencing his grace. She's experiencing his kindness. She's experiencing his presentness. He's not judging her. He's not condemning her. He's not telling her this is where you fall short and what you should be living up to. No, he is speaking and meeting her natural need, touching her emotional need, and provoking a spiritual truth. And yet what so often happens is we feel that touch of God upon us, that spiritual awakening, she recognizes it, says you must be a prophet, but then she jumps into religion, gets caught up in a religious argument that bears no life. And Jesus cuts across it. She's talking about how we should worship, and he cuts across it. And he says in verse 23, there's a time coming, it is now come, it is right here, it is right now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshipers he seeks, because God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. He's saying, this is a right now, right here thing, wherever you placed, God is able to seek you, and you are able to respond in worship. You're not to be caught up in whether um, there's little discussions or arguments or uh, petty grievances about worship. It's not about whether the drums were too loud or they were too soft, whether there was a guitar or whether there wasn't, where you liked the song or whether you didn't. The truth is the reason you worship is because He is worthy and you've caught sight of that and there's something that has to respond to who He is right here, right now, wherever you might be placed, whether you're in a church, in a workplace, in a gym, in the car, in a restaurant, wherever. Wherever you are, you are aware of the worth of the king and there's worship that comes from your heart and he'll seek you out even if you're in a desert by a dry well. Because he's the ever-present God that presences himself in the immediacy of what you're dealing with. Where you are feeling hopeless, he breaks in to bring hope so he can break through and break you out. Because he is the breaker forth. As Samuel and Micah tell us, And the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus declares, I, I the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. And the disciples come and they're coming back and they're thinking, what is Jesus doing? He's talking to this lady, but they don't say anything because they see Jesus has got his glint in his eye, that purpose. They see he is ministering. He is operating under grace and they know not to push into that or to get distracted by that. They leave him to what he's doing. And once, that, once she sees them come, she, at that point, it says in verse 28, she leaves her water jar. This is her prized possession. This is what she has come to the well for. This is what she's going to get water with. This is what she says, Jesus, how are you going to get water? You don't have a bucket. How are you going to get into the depths? But a moment has come where she's no longer standing or concerned about a physical place by a well and what water's in there. She's no longer worried about how she's going to get it, but she leaves her bucket. She leaves that well because she's encountered the fountain of life and there's something springing forth of living waters deep within her and she's no longer a sinner ashamed at high noon 
trying to hide from people, but she's running to the people to tell them about the one that she's encountered, about his love and his grace and his goodness. And when she was hiding from people, suddenly she's standing before a crowd and saying, you used to mock me that I ran after this man and that man, but I want to tell you, I found the man, the man that loves me in spite of my circumstances, background and culture. He loves me because he loves me because he loves me and because I am his beloved. And I've got to tell this good news. And those that would have mocked and ridiculed her, a crowd sees something in her, upon her, something changed within. There's living water sprouting forth, and they start to follow her, and they come upon Jesus talking to the disciples. And the disciples are caught up with the physical need, and they're saying, aren't you hungry? And Jesus is saying, I've got food you don't even know about. I've got food you don't even know about. And while the disciples are looking at each other, looking at him and thinking, what food is he talking about? Jesus is seeing a crowd of people approaching in the distance. And this is what it says in the message, John 4, 34 to 38. Jesus said, that food that keeps me going as I do the will of the one who sent me. Finishing the work he started. And as you look around right now, wouldn't you say that in about four months it will be time to harvest Well, I'm telling you to open your eyes, lift up your eyes, and take a good look at what's right in front of you. These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time right here, right now. As he's saying that to them, as they're talking to him about food, he's saying, don't say it's four months off. They are looking at him, but he is looking at the crowd coming. He's saying, turn around, open your eyes, and see it's harvest time. Right here. Right now. Verse 36, or before I say that, we are so quick to point things to a later time. Four months off. You know, in four months, I'm going to work on my marriage. See it come back into order. In four months, I'll sort my finances out. In four months, I'll start to give God a bit of my attention again. In four months, I'll start to get caught up with what I believe His purpose is for me. In four months, I'll start to, to look at uh, sorting out those areas in my life that I know are out of order. Because it's easier to, to put off for one day than to have faith for what God is wanting to do right here, right now. And God is wanting to stir up and provoke and galvanize faith in your heart and mind. Verse 36 to verse 38 says, These Samaritan fields are ripe. It's harvest time. The harvester isn't waiting. He's taking his pay, gathering in his grain. That's ripe for eternal life. Now the sower is arm in arm with the harvester, triumphant. That's the truth of this saying. This one sows and that one harvests. I tell you to harvest a field you've never worked without lifting a finger. You have walked in on a field worked long and hard by others. I mean, that sounds sounds like grace. Does it not sound like grace to you? It means we get to partake of and be involved with and to receive something that we don't deserve, that we haven't earned, just because of unmerited favor. That's the grace of God. He's saying we mustn't get caught up in just ourselves and the temporary, but get a glimpse of the harvest that is now. He says, take a look at what's in front of you. I want to finish just by saying this. I'm so excited for this year. I spoke about halfway through last year on anticipation. I never anticipated what God is going to do. Many people know me. I am a slow mover. If you know me, you'll laugh and giggle because you know that to be true. But God in His goodness, knowing that the harvest 
is now, knowing that it's the right time, it's right here, it's right now. God in His goodness, in probably October, introduced me, well, we had known each other before that, but re-engaged with a couple called Rich and Tanya. I'm a slow mover. God has to really be doing something for me to respond. In November, they started here full-time. There was something God's doing. I got excited in that. I thought there's something right here, right now that God you're doing for the harvest. But then November was coming to an end. And I started chatting to Louis else. And he started to chat to me about my friendship with Julian Adams, who's a friend of mine and has been through the years. And he said, I believe that harvest can be a home for Julian. And then Julian came and we started chatting. And coming into the end of November, the beginning of December, Julian and Katia said, we believe that harvest is going to be home for us, and we want to be involved to stand along and join in with what God's doing. Isn't that awesome? So I say, well, Lord, what are you doing? I want to say, when he starts to bring fivefold gifting into the house, we need to realize, as Ephesians says, that it's there to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. It's not so that we can come and sit in a, in a building and have our ears tickled, but it's so that we can equip. You, you can be equipped for what God's called you to, that as you go out of this place, in your workplace, in your medical practice, in your school, in the educational environment, in your home, wherever you might find yourself, you get to be a minister of the goodness of God and His grace to whoever you might encounter. You get to be the one who causes there to be living waters of life released in the deepest places of who they are. I mean, that's a great thing. I don't know if that encourages you. That encourages me. And there was a 10-year-old child that's come in these last two weeks. Let me say just before that, in sharing with Rich and Julian and Jacques and Patrick and others, I was just saying, I really believe in this year that the Lord is going to increase us, that we are going to be at three full services needing a fourth service. Not because God is trying to add numbers just to um, increase how many we can say in our church, not so we can just fill a building, but because it is, there is a harvest out there in the laborers of you. And God is looking to bring in the harvest right here, right now. Open your eyes to see that which He is doing. I want us to know the harvest time is right here, right now. It's right here, right now for Durban. It's right here, right now for Sunningdale. It's right here, right now for Glen Annell. It's right here, right now for Amarty. It's right here, right now for Amshloti. It's right here, right now for Live Village. It's right here, right now for Mboza. It's right here, right now for Mshonga. It's not only for that, it's right here, right now for you. There's a harvest coming. In your marriage, in your finances, spiritually, in every area, he's bringing a harvest. And there was this 10-year-old kid that came, sorry, and just to say, with Julian sharing that about the three full services, the first service, sorry, I shared that about the first three services being full. The first Sunday, Julian was with us. We were full, all three services, right to the back. I want to say it's a picture of things to come, a prophetic picture of what God's saying to us. But there was a 10-year-old boy that was here last week. I think it was last Sunday night or the Sunday night before. He's not from this church. And he came and he said this said to his mom, said, Mom, I like this church because they do, do what they believe. I want us to be a church that does what it believes. He says, Mom, this church is too small because what God is wanting to do here and with what he's wanting, the people he's wanting to bring in here, it cannot hold what he's going to do. So I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. We're going to have to look at parking a little bit further. 
We're going to have to look at being better at our welcome. We're going to have to look at being better at connecting with people and building community. We're going to have to look at being better at serving or maybe giving up our seat where necessary. Because I want to tell you, there is a harvest coming, and it's right here, right now. And we need to get eyes to see what he's doing because he's calling us to greater measures of generosity. He's calling us to have a greater expectancy of his goodness to be manifested and his presence. He's calling us to be prepared for the growth that is coming. He's calling us to be a church, not to be just the gathering, not to be a building, but to be the church gathered, that we can be the church that leaves the building at the end of the service. He's calling us to be a church that equips families, that raises up sons and daughters into their identity in God, that causes young adults to encounter Him in such a way that something shifts and changes and comes right way up that they get to be the counter culture to the world's culture because they are standing and declaring the goodness of their King. We call to be families that gather together. We could worship on our own. We could watch TV. But there's something about a commitment that as we come and we worship together, we're creating an environment that's declaring the goodness and the promises of God so other people can walk through these doors and sense the anointing and the touch of the Spirit upon their lives. And they can be provoked. And there can be a thirstiness for living waters that flow. And we call to be a church that celebrates having a generation here that's gone before. An older generation, those who have been saved for 50 years, that can encourage us and speak of testimonies and God's faithfulness and say, run, because there's a legacy for a thousand generations to sing of His glory and His grace. My heart is this. I don't want a 10-year-old boy coming in here and seeing what we cannot see for ourselves. I want us to have eyes for the harvest. It is right here, right now. Salvation, finances, marriages, workplace, family situations. God is wanting to meet you in the immediacy of your moment. The vision, well, a vision without execution is just an hallucination, as Thomas Edison said. And so we're going to outwork the vision. We don't have time to talk about that now. We're going to pick it up and we're going to run with this going forward. But all I want to ask of you is that you would be able to stand out of where maybe you've been caught up in your own needs and preoccupation. Maybe it's been loneliness. Maybe it's just been that you've been so dry. I don't know where you've been, but I want to ask you if you would just stand up to be involved with what God's doing. Because I want to say it is so exciting. I don't know what I'm so excited about. But let me tell you, God's doing something, and I'm excited about it. I'll tell you personally. There is a fresh conviction in my heart. I have a fresh conviction in my heart for what God's wanting to do. We'll discover what that means as we journey forward. Can I ask us to stand as I pray? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, that's great. You're talking about a vision. You're talking about all these things. But in myself, George, I am that lonely one. I'm so lonely. There's people all around, but no one understands me and gets where I am. I'm at. I'm so lonely. As everyone's eyes are closed, then no one can see. I want to just respond to you and be in faith with you right now. If you're here and there's just an incredible loneliness, will you just put your hand up for a moment so that I can see you? Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hands. The Lord sees your hands. The only cure for that loneliness is Jesus. Lord Jesus, I just pray for those people that right here, right now, that you would just meet them in such a way, Spirit of God, that you would draw close, that you would minister deep within, that they would know companionship of knowing the one who sticks closer than a brother, the lover of their souls. Spirit of God, I pray that you would rest upon them and minister your presence to them right here, right now, in Jesus' name, I pray. There will be people here that maybe you sitting in that place that you just tired, you just weary, you just feel disengaged, you just feel you don't have the energy to get going, you just feel God, uh, you know, maybe in four months' time, but, but I just don't have it right now. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. I want to be in faith with you. This is a now thing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right here, right now. Lord, I just agree with what you're doing, Lord. I thank you that you're calling people out of old places of conformity and comfort, that you're calling us to attention to what you're doing. And Lord, I pray for those individuals, for all of us, that we just know the fresh experience of what it means to live and to move and to have our being in you. I thank you that you would come, Spirit of God, and encourage and enthuse them, even as that word enthuse means that the, the rivers of God flowing in your life, that you would just give them fresh infusion right now in Jesus' name. And then I want to pray as no one's looking. We're talking about the harvest. I want to say it's a right now, right here thing. Some of us have been thinking, well, I'll get to that decision later. I'll get to that time when I can make that commitment. But you have known the pursuit of God upon you with his goodness and with his faithfulness, with his love. You know that he's been pursuing you. And I want to say it's a right now, right here moment, right here, right now, where Jesus is drawing near presently and he's saying, Drink of me and you will experience living waters of life flowing from your innermost depths. Is there anyone here that hasn't yet given their life to Jesus? If you can just raise your hand. I want to be in agreement with you. Thank you. Is there anyone else here that hasn't given their life to Jesus? This is the moment. Right here, right now. I just want you to raise your hand. I'm not going to get you to do anything. I just want to pray with you. Lord, I just thank you, and just for that individual who raised your hand, if you would just pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for just revealing yourself to me afresh today. You can just pray this within yourself. Lord Jesus, I thank you just for what you did on the cross and how it allows me to have a relationship with the Father. Father, I thank you that I can know what it means to be a son because of the finished work of the cross and Jesus' blood. And Holy Spirit, won't you come and fill me and lead me and cause me to grow more and more as I follow after Jesus. I pray that in your mighty name, Lord. Amen.